Regular viewers and listeners will know that we talk a lot here about the problems that have arisen in the Web2 era of the internet, the abuses that happen online, the loss of autonomy over our data, the proliferation of disinformation, and all of the threats that that poses to democracy. They'll also know that we talk about the potential that blockchain technologies pose to address many of those problems. Well, our guest today, Frank McCourt, is on a mission to accelerate that process. Frank is the chairman of McCourt LP and now the CEO of Unfinished. LA Dodgers fans will know that he is the former owner of that famed baseball team. And now he is the owner of a French football club, Olympique de Marseille. Frank will talk about the work that Unfinished is doing to build new protocols for the Web3 era. He'll also talk about Project Liberty, a not-for-profit that has a very large mission ahead of it. This episode is sponsored by EY. Money is changing. So where do we go from here? Through high-profile interviews and thought-provoking analysis, join Michael Casey and Sheila Warren for the Money Reimagined podcast as they explore the connection between finance, human culture, and our increasingly digital lives. And just a reminder, Coindesk is a news source and does not provide investment advice. And now, here's Michael Casey. Hello, and welcome to Money Reimagined. I'm Michael Casey, and this is our second episode from Davos. Uh, this is not time travel. We are still here at the same day that we were here when we did last <laughs> week's, but we're just, you know, obviously you're watching us a week later. Oh, it's so confusing, Sheila, but still <laughs> just as good to be together this again. It's everywhere, Michael. Yeah, like I feel like it's exactly. <laughs> it's, <never changed. laughs> it's a lovely yellow outfit. That was very, 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 very spring, and we are here yes. in Davos in the spring, yes, which is uh, different from when we are usually at Davos, which is in the wintertime, and you right. were formerly of the the WEF, as we mentioned. But really, I mean, it's been an, an interesting week. We've had a lot of issues uh, around the world melting down in different yeah. forms. But, uh, you know, as we were saying last week, I mean, crypto seems to have a bigger presence than before. Any other insights yeah, well, you want to no, share? No, I, just, I think one of the things that's happened here that's been so helpful for us is just that serendipity. You know, it's, it's a gathering, again, like none other in the entire world where you get people from all disciplines that come together inside the Congress Center in formal settings and informal settings at dinners at night in the morning and this and that. And uh, the way I think it makes me think and the connective tissue and the neurons that fire, I think mm. are fascinating. Yeah. So let's bring in our guest, Frank McCourt. Yes, Frank thank you so much for joining good us. Good morning. Yes, nice to be with you. Yeah. So Frank, you have a really rich life behind you. Really, so, so many great achievements, entrepreneur, sporting teams. <laughs> yeah. You know, you've Sports had this, enthusiast. <laughs> <laughs> really, just a rich background. But you're really concerned uh, about certain aspects of the way the world is run in the digital age, right? We're talking here, of course, about Web 2.0. You've launched this new partnership with Polkadot, which we can go into a little later. But Project Liberty is what I'd like you to explain to our viewers. Uh, what's it all about? What, what is the yeah. problem you're trying to solve? Yeah, happy to share my thoughts with you. And again, I don't think I'm alone in having concerns yeah. about the way things are headed right now and you know the sustainability of big things like democracy and so forth. So uh, because of that concern, we embarked on a kind of a journey to really determine what was it that was undermining democracy so quickly. And, you know, w without getting into all the details and all the steps of that journey, it was quite apparent that the way technology is currently designed and being used is incredibly erosive to the what underpins democracy and capitalism for that matter. And that's the concept of trust. And when I'm talking about technology, I want to be clear because there's a lot of great things that technology does. 
I'm talking about the current architecture where data is extracted and exploited. And we see how dangerous that is and just how unfair that seems and incorrect that seems. And then, of course, social media, how damaging it's become. And so 2.0 was built on a, not a particularly shining North Star, you know, move fast and, and break things is, is it's pithy and, and cute and all that, but it, it actually can for sure. So we can sit and talk about all the things that are broken and wrong and this and that, but I, I want to change the conversation if we can generally to a solution. And I think with Web3 coming on the scene now, which is widely misunderstood, I think, you know, I mean, a lot of the narrative around Web3 has been, you know, around dodgy coins and, you know, kind of, I think it's missing the point, right? Blockchain is powerful technology that if properly utilized, you know, can do a tremendous amount of good. I mean, I think of technology as a tool, not the be all and the end all. And, you know, like a hammer is a tool and uh, you can use a hammer to go out here and build a beautiful home or we could go out and kill someone. And we need to redirect the technology from doing the damage it's doing Mm -hmm. to start actually building things and solving problems at scale. So I think we are at a moment where as the technology skips from 2.0 to 3, that we can really reset things. And, you know, when 2.0 came on the scene, very few people understood what the internet was going to lead to, you know, just what was all this going to mean? And well, now we know. So the way I look at it is we can give everybody a mulligan, you know, for (laughs) the fact that we didn't have it quite right with 2.0 and it led to some some places that are not really healthy or or helpful. Now we know. So let's get it right. And uh, no more mulligans, right? Because right, now right. we know what the, what the internet is capable of and let's get it right. And Web 3.0 presents that possibility. I think, again, just like 2.0, 3 is just technology. It's not implicitly going to make things better. Mm-hmm. And so we need to have the right governance model. And I don't mean token governance. I mean societal governance. And I think we need a new protocol, a core non-tokenized protocol for social media, that is, that actually would change the way the social graph works completely. And rather than a billion atomized, you know, social graphs, we have a universal social graph. It's part of the web. The web becomes socially aware. Think of it that way. And we all have agency within that universal decentralized social graph over our data. We own it. We control it. We decide who we share it with on what terms and for what purpose. That combined with Web3, I think, could fundamentally change things. Today's episode is sponsored by EY Blockchain. As businesses prepare for the token economy, EY is committed to building a better working world and connecting global business ecosystems on the public Ethereum blockchain. To learn more about the EY Blockchain portfolio of products and services, visit blockchain.ey.com. That's blockchain.ey.com. So tell us then, so that clearly you're talking about embedding new values, I think, in the ecosystem, right? Both the governance layer, but also taking the technology and ensuring that it's providing a more democratized access. It's providing more, I imagine, inclusion, more engagement, more empowerment in the system. So t- talk to us about the, the Project Liberty. So what are the kind of the core tenets of the work that you're engaging in? Yeah, I think we're actually talking about embedding values. Yeah. I'm not sure it's their new values. I guess I'm not sure. Values what, at all. Yeah. Get, get the values in there. That's yeah, right. Yeah. 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 The absence of values has been a problem. Yeah. So um, very important point. Like 
for me, to think that technology is going to has caused these problems and it's going to solve all these problems and technologists is uh, the onus is on the technologists to solve them. I think is is misguided. Society has to solve these problems. We have to solve these problems, and we have to have these conversations about what values and principles do we want embedded, what guardrails do we want created, and let the technologists innovate like crazy within that framework. So. Project Liberty has a huge tech component to it, but it's not a tech project. Project Liberty is a broader project with a movement and governance tracks as well. And two things that distinguish Project Liberty or differentiate it are, number one, it's coming forward with a solution. And we're looking for people to improve on that solution. If there's a better solution out there, we'll support it. We need to fix a big problem here. But as I said earlier, tech is only a part of it. Coming forward with three tracks. This idea of tech being part of the solution, not the entire solution, along with a governance model and a movement. So each of these tracks, you know, is now accelerating and we've invited many others to be involved. For instance, the institute we established that is moving the governance track forward has uh, Sciences Po in Paris, Georgetown and Washington, D.C. as partners. And we're looking now to add many, many other partners. In other words, people who are concerned about this problem would like to be at the table discussing how we fix this. Uh, social scientists, for instance, that are want to sit and talk with the technologists and have a more robust conversation. I almost feel like we're in a Federalist Papers moment, you know, yeah. Yeah. where we actually need to talk about what does democracy look like in a digital world? What does our civic it's, it's actually yes. look like? Yes. It's also, it also has to be an you know, international or at least, you know, universal concept of a constitution. At right? least it's, transatlantic to start. Right. Transatlantic yeah, to start I think, with, I think yeah. of it as Western democracies right now. And, and uh, Sadly, I, I think the internet is splitting. You know, I, I was one who thought and hoped it would be, you know, we'd have one internet, one global sort of community, a marketplace, and each sovereign would build its own political yeah. and economic system on it. I think we're seeing... It's a really that, interesting point. I hadn't really thought about the idea that, yes, we have this break in globalization. We have this yeah. risk, of course, Russia and China being part of that conversation, yeah. but that that would actually lead to a break in the internet is a really interesting idea. Yeah, not good, right? Because it, it loses that universality that we were looking for. Yeah, a, On the other hand, it gives us a chance to build, right? Because if you've got common values, Western democracies, there's a lot more of alliance around that. Maybe it's easier to find the consensus that you need for this government. Yeah, right? I think that's right, Michael. I think the technology delivers what it, it's optimized to deliver. Yeah, that's right. So if you are optimizing for rage, yeah. you get rage. Yeah. If that creates more stickiness, right? Uh, in, in, in more online exactly time. Right. Yeah. So I think we need to be thinking about, you know, optimizing for democracy, yeah. right? And that means that we probably are focused on democracies, right? mm -hmm. democracies that use an internet. That is probably going to shape, yeah. uh, you know, kind of one version of the internet, mm -hmm. right? That actually celebrates democracy, supports mm -hmm. democracy, strengthens democracy, and so forth. I think it's going to be very difficult when we talk about values embedded to kind of reconcile, um, you know, democratic set of values yeah, yeah. with a totalitarian or autocratic set of values. I think that's kind of an initial gating item, isn't it? And, and yeah, uh, so yeah. I think it's going to, as we think about values, it's going to actually translate down line mm -hmm. to the technology we, we use and how it's architected and, and so on and so forth. Yeah. Yeah. So I want to just pause here for one moment for our listeners and viewers, because many people may not understand this. I think we're getting more awareness of this just in light of what's happening in Russia. And the fact that the average Russian citizen is supportive of this invasion because they're getting a very different information. But it's not just the information flows and the lack of content moderation, or the very heavy, I would argue, content moderation, or the single source of, of truth, if you will, that's happening in that environment. It's also the very way you can access the internet, what you have access to. And so the kind of unfettered 
which is never unfettered. In the United States, of course, it's truly not unfettered, but we think of it as relatively unfettered access we have to decide what we want to see and then create using our own, you know, through the mediated lens of these Web2 platforms, getting spun back something that is designed to be of interest to us based on what we've reflected and taught that system over time, you know, becomes quite curated. Nevertheless, that does not exist in many parts of the world to the points that you're raising. And so the idea that we could kind of unwind a lot of what has been very heavily and deliberately architected uh, to make sure that people are captured in a certain mental model or mentor moment is a really, really strong point. I just wanted to kind of underline that because you're right. We do already have a fragmented internet and that's true in terms of access, but also in terms of the ways people even think about engaging with it absolutely. and the expectations around it. Yeah, right? yeah, absolutely. I think you've, you, you've made it beautifully. And yeah, so this kind of values-driven approach to it is going to lead us to different end results. But the idea of the internet originally, as viewers, I'm sure all and listeners all know, was, was really a very decentralized mm-hmm. yes. piece of yeah. technology. Right. It just, it was commercial interest that centralized things, mm-hmm. right? And this is not unusual. It happens a lot in different over time. You know. But it doesn't mean it's correct when we're talking about something as important as, as the internet, which mm-hmm. connects all of us. So our thought is that there's a portion of the internet that should be public, that shouldn't be privatized. And that uh, includes all of our data and all the data that we create you know, morning, noon, and night every day. Mm-hmm. And it's gone from technology is it's cool and interesting and technologists kind of shoot the rocket up and don't worry about where it lands to no technology is actually impacting every facet of our lives. And that rocket can land in really bad places, right? And do a lot of damage. And so we're seeing now the impact on our very operating systems, right? Including democracy. And so we're at kind of a a really important point, I believe. And again, I remain optimistic, even though there's a lot to be concerned about, because I think there's a solution at hand. And I, I think a lot of it goes back to this idea that you're getting at around transparency, around truth, trust. How does trust happen? You know, and I know Gavin, who we've just announced the polka dot and really, really thrilled that they're now partners in Project Liberty and they've come forward and, and really supported DSNP as, as the way forward for new social networking. You know, he talks about less trust, more truth, right? Yes. And kind of disagree with him a little bit. <laughs> we talk about it because I think in the Web3 community, that makes a lot of sense when people really understand. It's, very, it's a very cryptographer's way of thinking. <laughs> yeah, exactly. right. I don't want to trust anybody. Just, you know, <laughs> yeah. but, but when we think about this from a vantage point of a three-track project that includes governance track and movement track, people, citizens, I think may be confused by the less trust part of it yeah. because I think what it's we're all looking for is more trust. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So what am I saying? We're at the early stages here. We still are sorting out language. We're still sorting out definition. We need a glossary of terms, right? <laughs> so that people understand what's at play. You know, I'm old enough to remember uh, Internet 1.0, mm-hmm. Internet 2.0, <laughs> and, now, and now Web 3. And when Web 2.0 came on the scene, very few people understood the power of connecting everyone, right? What, what the Internet this next evolution at the time, 25 years ago, plus when, when the, the uh, 2.0 came on the scene, what does that mean when everybody's connected? Not to mention, what does it mean when there's no values and yeah, no broader governance model? You know, and there's plenty of governance for the protocols, but I'm talking about governance for society. And uh, as I said earlier, we now understand, wow, there's a lot of power here, right? Yeah, there's a lot of things yeah. that can happen, good or, or bad. But again, early on, there was not a lot of understanding of the, the technology or the terms, this and that. Now, and even how to use it. Remember modems and huge? Yeah, oh, yeah. yeah, yeah. Where you had to type in even to access it. And then it got very simple and polished with apps that do, do amazing things. So the, the internet is not the problem. The internet is awesome. 
it's how it's being used that's the problem. And I think what we're, Gavin and I you know, share a viewpoint is that the current model is fundamentally flawed. Mm -hmm. It needs to be fixed and yeah. it's not tinkered with. Yeah. So, I mean, you talked about not being allowed to have a mulligan anymore, right? That we, we can't, there's no excuses. We now have eyes wide open what has happened. And you know, I think that's true. I think, I think certainly when Web 2.0 came along and with these, these big platforms emerging, we thought, oh, wow, they're giving us free stuff. Isn't this great? <laughs> We've got it. And, and look, it keeps getting better and better. Look at all the things Google is adding to my life. Isn't that great, right? And we think it from a consumer's mindset and we think about price and we're going, cool. What we didn't understand was the actual currency and all of that was our data. Was it was our and that became actually ourselves that we were part of. We were the product, not the That's not right. the consumer. Yeah. And so there is now, I think, an understanding of that. There is an awareness of that. But I don't know that we've got awareness of sort of how decentralization has to function because I don't know how you tr create a true decentralized blockchain, which is a fundamental piece of this without having a token in there that manages all of that. There may be some solution, but we've got people all around the world, including the, you know, the ECB president saying that crypto has no value. People will say blockchain. I don't like Bitcoin. I don't like crypto, but I like blockchain. I and blockchain. it's a very yeah. you know, mixed message. You've you know gone to Polkadot, which of course has an underlying token. So how are you going? Because part of Project Liberty's exercise is to go out there and talk to the world and you're getting feedback from all sorts of institutions on this thing might work. Is there a growing understanding of this, of the fundamental nature of what a permissionless blockchain is and why we would need that yeah, as opposed yeah, to- Yeah, I think it's growing is the word. I okay. mean, it's, it's a growing understanding. I think there's more of an understanding now of the problem with the current tech architecture than there is of the solution. And what Project Liberty is putting forward is a solution. And again, if there's another solution, that's out there that's um, equally good or better, we're going to support that solution. The, the point is we're trying to change the conversation from kind of recycling and being stuck yeah. in the problem phase mm -hmm. to now actually talking about the solutions and talking about these very issues that you're raising. They're complicated, right? One thing that I want to really emphasize here, DSNP, first of all, Project Liberty is a 501c3. So it is a okay. impact project. We're working on the commercial aspects like we know many people are, including, you know, Polkadot, and we hope thousands and tens of thousands do. But Project Liberty is purely impact, right? It has the, the movement component, the governance component, and the tech component, all of which are the movement component is called Unfinished. The institute we started is called McCourt Institute, and it's really focused on new civic architecture for a digital world, starting with Web3 governance. And DSNP.org is the tech track. DSNP it's not tokenized. What does it stand for, first of all, DSMP? Decentralized Social Networking Protocol. Okay. So think of it as HTTP. Think of it as a core, non-tokenized internet protocol okay. that would fundamentally change how the underlying internet works. The architecture, right? basically. Yeah, I can't emphasize this point enough. We think that just blockchain mm -hmm. alone may make things better, may make things worse, doesn't solve the we certainly know the role that the impact that tokens can have on social media behavior, for example. Right? Behavior, it really yeah, just creates this incentive loop for being right. you know a very, very narrow view of what the truth is. So what if what if we all adopted another protocol? Remember, the internet does not have to work the way it works. Mm -hmm. It just works the way it works because we've adopted protocols. Mm -hmm. What if we adopted yet another protocol mm -hmm. for social networking purposes? Mm -hmm. And but the result of which was all of the data we create, right? All of the, the our social graphs, right? Became one universal decentralized social graph. And that became part of the internet itself. 
right? Part of the public portion of the internet, a resource, a utility, an asset for society, for us all. We control our data within that, so we can't be abused. We get the connectivity of the internet. We don't lose that, but we have now agency and control. We eliminate this idea of a few privileged entities vacuuming up all of this data and then doing stuff with it, like monetizing it without sharing the value, like uh, using it in ways that permissioned, I mean, give me a break. We, can, we click on these cookies. Who's reading? Who, who's reading? We just want the answer, right? Mm-hmm. So that, in, and then used in ways that we're finding uh, we're never permissioned, mm-hmm. right? And now the data is even being weaponized, right? Okay. And we see that. It's because we have a model where the data is being extracted and exploited. I believe go to a different model, which actually makes the social, our social graphs. And this is the key for, for social networking, right? Part of the public portion of the internet. Then all of these different use cases can be built. The ability to kind of have incentives that go in weird directions. I mean, that will exist, right? People will do lots of, you know, stuff that will be hugely uh, accretive to society and some stuff will be kind of silly or whatever, but it won't be able to, to replicate what's happened because the data, which is where the, the real value for society is, will be part of the internet itself, right? And then the good stuff that gets built will get permission by us, right? Think of it as the working the opposite the way it works now, right? Now we click on agreeing to the terms of certain use case, certain apps, right? Mm. What if the, the apps that are created in the future have to agree to our terms mm. mm-hmm. as individuals? Mm-hmm. Yeah. The, yeah. Good, the good use cases mm-hmm. will get a lot of Agreement. So this might be you frame that your machine, yeah. not your enemy, but actually well, potentially. Yeah, that's frame. right. So, so before I left the forum, we found that this big initiative called the Data for Common Purpose Initiative. And the idea here was again flipping the predicate. And it was saying we can look at data and say, the very same data, I might be willing to take my genetic data and say, you know, I'm actually very comfortable with that data being anonymized and shared to public health authorities mm-hmm. and wherever location I'm mm-hmm. in to contact trace or to find a cure or to whatever it is. That same data, I may say, Hey, if a fragrance company wants to use it to customize a fragrance to my genetic mm-hmm. structure, I want to get compensated for that. Mm-hmm. So there's ways of thinking about this ownership. And what it's, I think we have to be, I think the reality is we're going to wind up seeing new economic models because totally. that's the nature of totally. capitalism. Yeah, right? I think you're raising a really important point. Yeah. And, and so what something like DSNP allows with blockchain is self-sovereign identity. Okay. Right. I, I try to think of all this in as simple a terms as possible so that we can talk about it in kind of very direct terms. In the analog world, pre-digital world, you know, we can only show up as one person mm-hmm. in the world. Mm-hmm. People sometimes try to show up <laughs> as yeah. more than one, but when they're found out, society frowns upon it, right. you know, and, yeah. and they're ostracized or mm-hmm. punished. So think of us showing up as one person in the digital world and having a self-sovereign ID. Second, verifiable attributes. You, you can authenticate things, right? That's Including... Right. If I make up stuff in the digital world about who I am or this or that, like who knows if it's true or not. In the analog world, you know, we have a CV or whatever. People check it out. If you have a job and you lied on your resume, you get fired, right? (laughs) There are repercussions. We need to have third parties to be able to verify attributes of these self-sovereign IDs, right? And thirdly, you mentioned privacy. In, In the analog world, we don't share our personal information with strangers. You know, we're here for a reason, right? I know who you are, you know who I am, and so we're not exactly strangers, but we're not exactly sharing detailed, intimate information. In the analog world, you don't share information unless you understand the terms that you're sharing. Mm -hmm. I agree with you wholeheartedly. If I'm anonymous 
in a trusted environment. I'm going to share information when there's a, a new novel coronavirus That's to right. see if we can stop it that, that, anonymously, right? right? I'm going to share, right. happily share. As a default, right? Like, but please, I'm not yeah. going to share personal detail, right. who I am personally in details. On the other hand, in a close circle in the internet, you might share right. information right. just right. like we do in the analog world, right? With our intimate relationships. I think it can work that way. I think it needs to work that way if we're going to be able to match it up and synchronize it mm-hmm. with our way of thinking about democracy and so forth. And I think that then when you have a healthier, right, more transparency, which blockchain allows, and then you restore this idea of trust and truth. You know, Gavin and I can work out the language later, but you know, I think we need trust and truth. Right. So one of the challenges, though, I would say, Frank, is that um, it, it's the, the real challenge is not so much PII, right? Like it's not necessary that my social security number is out there and the various other yeah. things that I think is very personal. It's a way, in fact, that, that there's a social graph built about me uh, that determines my behavior. And even though they don't know who I am, that I can be targeted as this sort of known entity because of my shopping behavior and so forth, right? Yeah. So how do we get to a world in which our online you know, footprints uh, gathered by big data machines aren't still turned against us, right? Because my data and owning that is thus become a very complex concept. It's a set of actions and the degree to which somebody could game that strikes me as, as possible. Well, we decentralize the social graph. That's, right. that's the whole point of DSMP is don't allow that possibility for that data to be, you know. It just doesn't be, live in the outside. It's, it's, it's always being well, contained. Well, this yeah. is the right. first time with Web3. I mean, I think you're raising a really important point that we should talk about it just for uh, 30 seconds here. And the current structure of, the, of your Web 2.0, the social graphs that get, mm-hmm. you know, collected, that right. get, mm-hmm. like I say, vacuumed up, you right. know, yeah, right? Yeah, yeah. They awesome. reside. In the individual institution, have companies mm-hmm. that, that have the apps that are sucking up the data. They have that data mm-hmm. in a central place, right? Okay. So they have access to the data. They apply algorithms to the data. They're the ones that are making judgments about That's right. how, how we're going to react, right? And even triggering reaction because they're making judgments about our emotional makeup, mm-hmm. our personality, how we'll react. If you remove that possibility... So think of these social graphs, which are the key to our communication and our interactions and so forth. Think of it as a universal decentralized social graph mm-hmm. as part of the internet, not part, not a property of the, these large you know, companies. Then the outcomes are very different. And this is the first time we've been able to do that because the data mm-hmm. is being stored in a decentralized way as well, right? The data is moving. Uh, to service all over, right? Mm-hmm. As opposed to residing okay. a, a, essentially in one place. Of course, it's residing in more than one place, but in control of, right. of one party. Okay, okay. Listen, this, we just go on. This yeah. is a conversation that we, we need to, I think, engage lots of people. And yeah. again, we can't just leave this to the technologists to solve more. the problem. They're a big part of it, of, of the solution, mm-hmm. but we need to solve it. Absolutely. It's, it's the purpose of our show. That's the right. point. Everybody get involved. Together. I mean, really just involved. Where, where can people go to, to check this out? Yeah. Projectliberty.io. Okay. And, uh, and then there's you know, ways to get involved and people to contact and so on and so forth. And it will take you to each of the three tracks, yeah. you know, Unfinished or the Institute. DSMP.org and, and, and check it out. And very, very important. Thank you so much. Thank you. Thanks very much. Thank you so much for your time. Yeah, yeah, great appreciate. to be with you in Dallas. You've been listening to Money Reimagined. Today's show featured Sheila Warren, Michael J. Casey, and guest Frank McCourt. The show was edited and produced by Michelle Mousseau with announcements by Adabi Levine and additional production support from Eleanor Paul. Our theme song is Shepherd. We would love to hear from you. If you have any questions or comments, 
please reach out to us at podcasts at coindesk.com subject line money reimagined or leave us a review on your favorite podcast player. And from all of us at Coindesk and the Money Reimagined team, thanks for listening.